Dear gracious Heavenly Father, you over the centuries have blessed your people through your word and through the Holy Spirit. And although, Father, we look for so many different means, the true means that you give us, Father, is the gospel of your Son, the hearing of faith and the strengthening of our faith through the Holy Spirit. Please come and do that now in our midst and be gracious and merciful to me. And be gracious and merciful to us, Father, that we might be a humble people who hear your word and come underneath it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the title of this sermon comes from our text in John 13, 31 to 35. A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. By this all the world will know that you are my disciples. Now, there's a context to which Jesus is speaking and we need to understand that context, especially as we move into Ascension Sunday and into Pentecost Sunday. So there is a theme in our readings. So Jesus has just finished washing the disciples' feet, symbolising his sacrificial love for them in the cross. He's spoken about Judas betraying him. In fact, Judas has actually just walked off to betray him. Then he starts to talk about the way in which God the Father is going to glorify him in his humanity, in his death, in his resurrection. And then he tells them that he's no longer going to be physically present with them, but is actually going to be with the Father, which disturbed the disciples. Now, it's on that basis that he gives the new commandment. And the new commandment is this, love one another as I have loved you, so that all people will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is about to leave a witness in the world. As he goes to the Father, as he pours out the Holy Spirit as the ascended and risen Lord upon the church, he gives a mission statement. What's the mission statement? Love one another as I have loved you. By this, all the world will know that you are my disciples. I wonder what our mission statements are. But there's one that Jesus gives us among many. So others are, go and proclaim the gospel into all the world. Be my witnesses in all the world. But by this, will people know who I am? by your love for one another. Very interesting, isn't it, that that's the way Jesus is about to go to the Father and that's the message he gives to the disciples. But what does he mean by a new commandment? How can he say this is a new commandment when the Old Testament is is riddled with commandments of love for God and love for one another? So who understands this new commandment? Well, you have to actually probably dig into a commentary a little bit, read the rest of Scripture. But do you know that John only uses this commandment once in his whole Gospel? A new commandment is used once. The other place you find it is in 1 John. So what does Jesus mean? Do we care what he means? Is it significant to actually look at what it means? Well, 
For several reasons it's new. Let me give you those reasons and then afterwards you can speak to me about them. Firstly, it's a new commandment in time because the commandment to love one another as I have loved you could never have been said until Jesus said it. Jesus had not yet appeared as the incarnated Son of the Father. And so when he says, love one another as I have loved you, this is the new commandment, he's saying that as the revelation of God's love for the world. So it's new in the sense that it was never said before because Jesus could never have actually said it until he was the incarnated Son of God. So the law came through Moses. At Sinai it came through tablets of stone. Jesus is now the living word, law of God. And that's why it's new. The second reason it's new is it's new in nature because it comes with the revelation of God's love for us in Jesus. So, you know, when it came on tablets of stone through Moses, Moses could only communicate it. Jesus actually reveals God's love as a man. He shows it, and especially in his death. Now, the other reason it's new is it comes with better implications. And this is where I'm going to get to in my sermon. Those better implications are this. God's command to love one another is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And if you're a person who's studied Lutheran theology, you will know there's two uses of the law. The one that condemns you and shuts you up to faith and exposes you in your sin so that you come to Christ and by Christ you say, oh, I love to be justified by grace alone. And the second use of the law is it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Absolutely, 100% fulfilled. So the new commandment of love one another as I have loved you is not imitation. Jesus is not saying imitate my love. He's saying it is participation. Participation in my love, in the fulfilment of the command to love. Now, we could speak about it this way. Jesus makes it possible for us to love. Really? Is that grace? Is him making it possible for us to love grace? That leaves an option, doesn't it? Well, I can love and I can't love. No, in Jesus Christ, the commandment to love is entirely fulfilled in Him and by Him and in us who are in Him by the Spirit. So it's good news. It's great news. What God commands... He enables. If he doesn't, it's not grace, but the onus is then on you. So, good luck to you. Go ahead and love as Jesus loved. Go on, try it. Please, have a go. See what your husband or your wife says tonight after you have tried, because If you want to ask if I've loved the way Jesus has loved, 
perfectly every second of every moment of every part of the day, the answer would be no. Some of you may think that you're actually capable of doing that. Therefore, the onus and the burden is on you, but the gospel takes the burden off us, places it upon Jesus, and our union with him through baptism by grace through faith. So the actual commandment to love one another, you can read it as a promise. In Jesus Christ, by grace through faith, the power to love one another as Jesus has loved us is a commandment already fulfilled for you. I wonder how Lutheran our theology really is. I've actually been given the pleasure of studying it and it is, it is fantastic to read and to have such confidence that God's law in Jesus Christ smiles on us. It smiles on us and says, you are not condemned. It smiles on you and says, as Jesus Christ is before the Father, so are you. You are exactly in the same standing as Jesus Christ is before God. In 1 John 4, 17 to 19, we read this. By this is love perfected with us. The word perfected is the word for fulfilled. How can John say, in this is love perfected with us? How can he say that? So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. As Jesus Christ is, so also are we in this world. Now we need to understand what Jesus' love for us really means. If you fear that God is still angry with your sins and angry with you over your sins, then you're fearing punishment. And if you're fearing punishment for your sins, then you're not perfected in love. Do you understand that? So, what the Apostle John is saying is the love of Christ at the cross has actually removed... All the punishment, not only of what we deserve for our sins, but he's actually removed it. He's removed the entire wrath and judgment of God upon our sins by being that sacrificial lamb. Therefore, we have confidence for the day of judgment. So on that day of judgment, the Father is going to look at you in Jesus Christ, and what is he going to say in that day of judgment? Not not guilty. He's going to say righteous. He's going to say perfect. He's going to say everything that he says about his son, he says about you. But is that only for the day of judgment or does that actually happen now? Is that the way in which... It is for you now. Are you, by union with Jesus Christ in the vine, baptised into him, standing before the holy tribunal of God's law, knowing that that law of God cannot at all condemn you, but instead 
smiles on you. That's the fulfilment that Jesus comes to. Love one another as I have loved you. And that is how come John can say, this is love perfected with us. Now, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. As someone who preaches, as someone who's in pastoral care, the greatest temptation to me is to be a man pleaser. Speak to please men and women. That's the pressure that comes upon you. Why? Because then they'll like you. No. That's not the Gospel. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love because the perfect love of the Father in Jesus Christ drives out fear so you don't need human approval. You don't need to actually come under the judgment of another human being. Therefore, you know you're pleasing to God and therefore He frees you from the fear of condemnation, the fear of being punished for your sin. And at that point, you become what is called a receiver. What is a receiver? A receiver is someone who thereby receives all the love of God in Jesus' death and resurrection. So that when you receive that love of Christ into you through the Gospel, you then love with His love. So we love as He first loved us. Now the opposite to a person who receives is arrogance. The opposite to a person who receives is pride. Because if you don't receive that grace of forgiveness in Jesus Christ, you are actually standing in a position of saying, I actually don't need it. So I turned on my television this morning, which I do every Sunday morning, and there's a couple of preachers who preach on Sunday morning, and for just for six to seven months they've preached about miracles. They've preached about healing. They've preached about prosperity. And they've made the Gospel be all about us being content and comfortable and healthy and rich. Brothers and sisters, our age is saturated with it. But when Jesus goes to be with the Father, He doesn't leave that. He leaves a new commandment, doesn't He? And how will the world actually know Jesus' love? By our love, our participation in His love for one another. And I taught this at confirmation class the other week and somebody said to me, we talked about Jesus actually loving for us in such a way that when He comes to live in our hearts, we actually really, with a true heart, love with His love. And they said, oh, that's amazing that it can be real. And it's amazing that we really can share in Jesus' love for other people. Brothers and sisters, if it's not that, you're a pretender. If it's not Jesus' love, you're just pretending. There's no other way. that You have no other power. And one of my first Bible college lecturers who I told this story at 8 o'clock, was a World War II uh, 
prisoner of war. And he was in Shangi. And in Shangi prison, you were only given a rice cake a day to eat. And those rice cakes were about that big if you were lucky. And they'd put him on a table and all the prisoners, and if you've ever seen prisoners in World War II in a prison camp, have you ever seen how thin they are? You can put your, you can put your hand around their arm. And he was an Anglican minister. And when he went to that table, he wanted the biggest one. But he said, oh, I'm a Christian. A Christian shouldn't take the biggest one. A Christian should take the smallest one. But I don't really want to take it. And so he took the smallest one and he ate it and he went back and in his heart he knew that when he took it, he didn't really want to take it. Hypocrisy. He wanted to do it but he couldn't. He, he really, in his heart, wanted the largest one but he took the smallest one thinking, well, that, that'll show people the love. But he knew that, that, that in his heart it wasn't true. And the text that kept coming to him was, lay down your life for your fellow man. Lay down your life for your brothers and your sisters. And he had a breakdown in the prison because he realised that in his heart he really could not lay down his life and love sacrificially and take the smallest rice cake. So he went to God and he prayed and he said, look, God, if this love of yours, this lower of yours is really true, please come to me. Please enable me to take the smallest rice cake and to actually do it because I love my fellow man. And he did. And it happened. He started to take the smallest rice cake out of sheer sacrificial Jesus Christ's love. Now when they came to rescue the prisoners... At the end of the war, the Japanese had left. They only had officers' uniforms. So when the boats arrived, they dressed all the POWs in officer uniforms and they stood together in a group. Anyhow, the guys who had come to rescue them went over to the Christians because what had happened in that that camp was a revival broke out. And all the Christians in that camp began to pray together and to read together and they went about serving all their prisoners, binding up their dressings, looking for food for them. These Christians came under this amazing revival of the love of Christ in this camp. And so by the time they came to separate the prisoners, by the time they came to them, they said, hang on a sec, you guys, pointing to the Christians, You guys are not meant to be with these POWs. Sorry, where are you from? You don't look the same. You don't look the same as them. Your eyes look good. Your face looks good. By this all men shall know that you are my disciples because the glorious love of God in Christ had come to them and they were beaming. Their eyes and their face was filled and so you couldn't recognize, you could recognize them by their officers' uniforms but they had to separate them. True story. And so the guy coined a phrase and coined a saying. He said, it's not where I breathe that I live. 
It's where I love that I live. It's not where I breathe that I live, but it's where I love that I live. So, do you got to wait for your circumstances to become right and then you'll find that you'll be able to love? If I could just change and divert, your circumstances are this. Your true circumstances are this. You are in Jesus Christ. That's your location. And in Jesus Christ, the Father has nothing but love flowing to you. That's where you are. By grace, through faith, you receive that and then your circumstances will be what? The love of Jesus will come through you and around to those circumstances. And by that, what will people know? You are my disciples. So let me finish by just quoting Luther's definition of a Christian because I'm going to keep quoting it while ever I am here because I think it's a great quote. A Christian is someone who lives in Christ by faith and what he would say to that is and is justified entirely by faith apart from works. That's what a Christian is. And he lives in his neighbour through love. Christian is someone who lives in Christ by faith and in his neighbour through love. Now there are some people that just don't want to be loved and they're in our church. You go to love them and they won't receive it because love comes close to you and Jesus' love is about knowing you. And the way that you can avoid love is to put that hard shield up And so Christian fellowship can be a scary thing because Christian fellowship is actually about knowing one another and serving one another intimately in love. And it can be a fearful thing to be a part of. But it is the place where God's mission to the world is seen and visibilised. And so in Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, you have nothing to fear There is nothing for God to undo or expose in you because it has all been taken away. You actually have no need to be afraid of God's punishment or judgment or being exposed. You can live freely in him and know that love by which he loved you. And this is his commandment, one commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. The Lord bless his word to you this morning. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.